All right, if you are a first-time guest with us, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood. Uh, we've been in Matthew 28 uh, for the last three weeks, uh, so uh, most of our church family already knows where to find it. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to be putting it up on the screen for you. I'm sorry that our switcher is not working, and you're going to have to rely on that right there. Um, but hopefully you can still uh, read along with us. Um, but as you're turning to Matthew 28, I want to start by telling a story about when I was in Spanish class in high school. Uh, one day I come walking in, and uh, there's a TV on a cart. Anyone remember the TVs on a cart? If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about, all right? We didn't have fancy projectors from the ceiling on a screen. We had this, and, and there was always the strap. All right, you had to keep the thing on there so it didn't fall when you were moving it around. And you had the VCR on the second level. And this was such a step up from the old real film projectors. Anyone remember those? Okay, yeah, you, you had the loud clanking thing as it rolled through there. Uh, the, the speaker on the one in my elementary school was lousy. It was so tinny, you could barely hear what was going on. Um, but I will say this, the advantage of these over the TV on the cart is you could play the film backwards. All right, that was always really cool. But anyway, I, I digress. Um, so in Spanish class, I walk in, my Spanish teacher has this TV on a cart and he brings it to the front and he says, today, because we're in Spanish class, we're going to watch an educational documentary about a Spanish man. This particular Spaniard is mourning the murder of his father and is going about wanting to seek to avenge his father's death. Now, as I'm hearing him talk about this, I'm thinking, this sounds really familiar. And then he says, oh, and by the way, the murderer has six fingers on each hand. I knew in that instant that we were, the educational documentary was none other than the 1989 classic film, The Princess Bride. Anyone here seen The Princess Bride? Okay, quite a few hands go up. So when I say, as you wish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, there's Fezzik, the rhyming giant. There's the uh, impressive clergyman. Uh, I'm so tempted to do a wedding someday and stand up there and go, marriage, marriage is what brings us together today. All right, if, you have, if you've not seen this film, you have no idea what I am talking about right now, and I am so, so sorry. You need to go watch this film. Um, but of those who have seen it, imagine you're talking with someone who has not and they say, oh, the Princess Bride, what's that about? How many of you would say, oh, it's about a Spanish man who's wrestling with alcohol because he's mourning the murder of his father and he's seeking to avenge the death of his father by killing the six-fingered man? Yeah, not, none of you. None of you would say that's what the story is about. Yeah, now, that's a part of it. It's a fun part of it. Well, kind of also a twisted part of it. But it's, it's a part of it. But it's not the main thrust. The, the main thrust is about Wesley and Buttercup and their love story. Or you could even say it's actually about a sick kid in bed and grandpa comes over to read the story of the Princess Bride to him. And that could lead you into the story of Wesley and Buttercup. Last week, as we were in week two of our series, we talked about obeying the king. And what we saw out of Matthew 28, which we're going to look at again today, is that we are called to go to baptize, and to teach. But if we ended right there, it would be kind of like telling the story about Inigo Montoya and leaving off Wesley and Buttercup. Because that's not the main thrust of the passage. Those are actually clarifiers to one command given. Today, we're going to look at what that one command is so that anyone who says they're a follower of Jesus can figure out, therefore, how they can serve the king. So if you have your Bibles, they're open to Matthew 28. Let me read one last time, verses 18 through 20. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, before I uh, felt God calling me to plant uh, Riverwood Church, I was a young adult pastor at a large church down in Cedar Rapids. And very early in my kind of stint there, I had an opportunity to go to a little local conference. It was just at another church there, and I think it was about a room double the size, so maybe there were about 100 pastors and church staff there. And a presenter got up front, and he read this passage right here. And then he turned and looked at this room full of pastors and says, all right, what is the one command in this passage? Now, I knew the answer. In, in my head, I said it was go. Because, I mean, my, when I was a kid growing up, my parents told me all the time, hey, go to your room. Right? I knew the command, go. But because I was pretty new as a young adult pastor, I, I didn't really want to speak out loud. Well, someone there must have read my mind because they said out loud, go. And the presenter looked at them and goes, nope. Someone else yells out, baptize. Nope. Teach. No. The one command is make disciples. That is the main plot point of the Great Commission. Like, if you leave it out, if all you're doing is thinking about, okay, we just got to go and baptize and teach, you're missing the main point. It's all driving to make disciples. Now, in week one of the series, I made kind of an audacious statement. I said that all of the agenda items of Jesus, all these commands that he gives us, I believe they either point to or are fulfilled in the Great Commission. Now, I realize that might make you go, mm, okay, like, this, this is a pretty important one. I mean, it, I, you can see why this is the pinnacle. Like, these are the last words Jesus said when he was on earth, right before he ascended up to heaven. And so, so it, these are a big deal. But Aaron, to say that all of the other commands, all of the agenda items point to this? So let me try to back up my statement. This week, as I was working on my message, Thursday, I, I came to this idea. I was like, you know what? I said that statement. Let's back this up. So I just took the little devotional booklet. It was day 12. And I just thought, okay, let's see if we can make this fit my claim. So the, the topic was from John 4, chapter, uh, I mean, sorry, John 4, verses uh, 23 through 26. Let me just read verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This, is, this agenda comes from a story where Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a well. The story is really kind of shocking because Jesus, as a rabbi, would never be found talking to a woman, and yet here he is. As a Jewish man, he'd never be found talking to a Samaritan woman. And then we discover later in the story that she's actually been married five times and now is living with a guy who's not even her husband. Like, this would have been incredibly scandalous in her day. So why is a guy like Jesus talking to a woman like that? And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus drops this bomb, this agenda item. And in the middle of it, he says, you are to worship God in spirit and truth. 
On, on Thursday in the devotional, Dana Olson, the author of it, he, he pointed out that this is the idea of us worshiping God in heart and mind, like with, with all of ourselves, with, with our emotions and with our thoughts. And, and so this is why a lot of churches worship in song, because music will move the heart. It moves and touches the emotions. Whereas a really well-written lyric, when it points to the gospel and God, it will engage your mind and helping you worship him in truth. Or, or this idea of doing a daily devotional. We, we provided these little books for the 21 days of prayer. And so the idea is that every day you sit down, well, you start with scripture. The idea that you engage your mind, you begin to worship God in truth. But then as you read through it, conviction of the heart, this desire to follow Jesus, and you end in this time of prayer. And in prayer, I would hope you could be fully honest with God, and by doing so, you're now worshiping in spirit. This is what God calls us to, to worship him in spirit and in truth, in heart and mind. But how in the world does this even begin to tie in with the Great Commission? Like, what does worshiping in spirit and truth have to do with making disciples? First of all, the word worship means to ascribe worth. So when you are making disciples, you're basically telling people that Jesus is worthy. He has worth. You're ascribing worth to him, worth enough to follow, to dedicate your entire life to, to give everything to him. So you're, you're in a sense, inviting them to worship him in spirit and in truth. But then sometimes the way we go about talking about Jesus Sometimes I think we lean a little bit more towards uh, truth and sometimes a little more towards spirit. You know, there, there are some people that they're, they're a little more academic, that they're more thoughtful. And so they're going to have criticisms against Christianity. Sometimes those conversations, it requires us to have to let them know that the Christianity is not some fairy tale, but that it's actually grounded in reality, that the Bible really is reliable. It's not like so many other religious texts. And to help them see that, it becomes a, this like cerebral exercise. And by doing so, sometimes what you do is you end up worshiping in truth. Other times though, the person you're talking with, they don't need convinced that the Bible's real because they're, they're hurting so much. Like you may hear their story and find out that the, the abuse that they went through, the, the, the abandonment that they faced, the, the things that they're wrestling with. And in that moment, you don't need to say, well, you know, God created the world in seven days. No, sometimes what they need is someone to hear and listen and say, you know what? God loves you so much, he sent his one and only son. And you begin to help them worship in spirit. But then the other thing is, when you have the joy of leading someone else to put their faith in Jesus, you will worship God in spirit and in truth. Because when you see someone cross over into eternity, to go from being separated from God to now being a child of God, you, you'll rejoice. Inside, you'll explode with joy, and you will not be able to stop yourself from just rejoicing and saying, God, I praise you. I thank you for this moment, because you'll worship him in spirit. But then as you watch this person's life change, you realize the truth of the gospel. And so, so do you see how worshiping in spirit and truth is tied in with this making disciples? But you might say, okay, but Aaron, you, you picked that one because it, it actually, you know, fits. You, you can make it point to that, but surely not all of them. Well, I did not go through every single command of Jesus in the Bible, but just easily opening up my scriptures, I just began to look through and go, okay, how can I make that one work? How can I make that one work? So, so for instance, take uh, the, uh, the next one. Um, take up your cross and follow me. 
what better way to take up your cross, to die to yourself, to die to your own agenda, than to take up the agenda of making disciples? Like if that was Jesus' last command, that's what the best way you could follow him. Okay, how, how about this one? Uh, last week, we looked at this topic of do not lust. Uh, okay, yeah, I don't see how lusting and making disciples really go together. Actually, they do. Uh, part of the reason, we touched on this briefly last week, but part of the reason we don't want to lust after someone is basically you're taking someone who's an image bearer. Remember, uh, God created humans. His image is in them. And so therefore, when you lust after them, you're basically taking an image bearer's body and using it for your own gratification. It's mental and emotional. It's not physical, but it's still taking that and using it for yourself. However, when you're making disciples, it isn't about what you try to get from them. It's now caring for them, realizing they are an image bearer in need of the gospel. And so now it is not what can I get out of them for my own gratification, but now what can I give them because what they need is Christ. And when you put your focus on making disciples, suddenly this lusting thing becomes less and less and less. How about this one? How about where Jesus just simply says, come to me and I will give you rest. Well, in the great commandment, Jesus said that he would be with us always to the end of the age. And so when you are making disciples, you're inviting someone to come to this Jesus who will be with them always. And then when they find him, that's where they find their true rest. You see, most people in this world, they're trying to find rest, but they're trying to find it through money. They, they try to find it through their job. They, they, they try to find it through substances. They, they try to find it in power and reputation. They, they try to find it in all these other things. And what Jesus is saying is, no, go and make disciples so that they can hear me say, come and I will give you rest. True rest. Can't tell you the number of stories that I've heard of someone who's made their life all about chasing money and they get it and it's not satisfactory. They, they chase after thinking, well, if I could just get her, if I could just get him, and they do it, and, and the marriage doesn't work. Over and over and over, we see in life, people trying to find rest in these things, and here's Jesus saying, come to me, and I will give you rest. And so when we go to make disciples, we're inviting them into that true Sabbath rest. That's why I, I'm convinced that just about any agenda item that you look at in the scriptures that Jesus gives to us saying, here's how you are to live, I think ultimately we find it in this idea of making disciples. And here's why. Because Jesus was all about the gospel. And when you were seeking to make disciples, you're basically telling them about the gospel. You're telling them this gospel story. And so every other thing that we see Jesus give us, it's steeped in the gospel. So that's why they're all tied together and they find their fulfillment in this idea of making disciples. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, your disciple who's continuing to grow and part of your continuing to grow is to go and invite others to become disciples as well. Now, maybe you're not convinced and that, that's okay. Uh, hopefully we'll have more time to convince you. But some of you, maybe you are convinced. And so if, if you're convinced, okay, if it's all leading this idea of making disciples, how do we go about doing it? Well, thankfully, Jesus told us. We, we looked at some of this last week at this idea of obeying the king, but we're going to look at it again, but a slightly different angle because this is going to help us to serve the king. The, the first thing Jesus said we're to do is to go. 
Uh, many years ago, I was uh, told that the word go in the, the Greek could be translated as you are going. Now, for many of us, when we hear go to all the nations, we think, oh great, God's going to call me to Africa. Well, maybe he will. But what I like about this idea is as you are going, it's as you are going to Africa or as you are going to another town to plant a church or as you are going into the inner city to work alongside this ministry or even as you are going to work, as you're going to school, as you're going on a walk around the neighborhood. As you go about your life, if you are a Jesus follower, your life is to be in this story. And so the gospel should be resonating out of you at all times. And so even as you're at work, having a conversation, that is part of your going. Now, I think there's several things that we can do when we go. But today, I'm just going to point out two. First, I think we are to go and invite. Just simply invite them. In... Uh, John chapter 1, uh, Jesus calls a young man by the name of Philip to begin to follow him. Uh, so Philip does. Philip ends up being so impressed, he, he runs home and he sees one of his friends, Nathaniel. I want, to, I want you to hear their conversation. This is from John chapter 1, starting in verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, well, come and see. I mean, here, here is Philip, gets approached by this rabbi, this Jesus guy, and he says, follow me. And so Philip starts following him, starts hearing the way this guy teaches, maybe sees a few miracles and starts to think, this is it. Like, this is the Messiah. This is the one Moses wrote about. The prophets told us we've been praying for this Messiah, and he's now here. And out of his excitement, he can't help but see Nathaniel and go, hey, Nathaniel, you're not going to believe this. It's the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. Nathaniel kind of steps back. He says, Nazareth? Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Rather than try to defend himself, rather than to launch into some sort of justification, rather than even backtrack it, all Philip does is says, well, come and see. He just simply invites him. Yeah, come and see for yourself. That, that's all it is. It's not a, a defense. It's not, not a, a, a well-reasoned statement. It's just, hey, I invite you. Come and see. So if you're a Jesus follower... Who do you need to invite, and where can you invite them? Maybe there's someone you could invite just to Sunday. Maybe it's to gather with us here in person or to join us online. Maybe you could invite someone to your growth group. Maybe this sort of a format isn't the most effective way to help them hear the gospel, but maybe they'd, they'd be willing to come to a growth group. I, I've got one friend that, that we just started meeting on Zoom. He wasn't comfortable meeting in person, and so we, we met every week over Zoom. Maybe you can invite someone to go serve with you, to go serve at the food bank, to maybe when one of our Wednesday, uh, at the, serving at the Wednesday cafe comes up, you can invite them just to go and help pass out meals. But most of all, who can you invite to say yes to Jesus? Who can you invite to become his disciple? So come and, I mean, go and invite. Second thing I think we could do when we go is to serve. Just go and serve. 
this past Thursday, um, I, many of you know I'm part of the Waverly Exchange Club. Uh, we were meeting on Zoom when the pandemic hit. We began to meet in person through the, the summer and uh, into the fall. And then when uh, numbers around here began to rise again, we went back to Zoom. So we were meeting on Zoom this past Thursday, and our, our current president announced that a, a gentleman was going to be joining our group as a new member. And so a little interview took place. It's like, hey, you know, tell us, why did you want to join? Well, this particular individual had come to one of our in-person meetings this past fall because he works for a local nonprofit. The uh, Exchange Club has a goal of eliminating child abuse. And so we raise funds to give to other organizations that will help us in our mission, our goal. And this gentleman works for one of these nonprofits. So he had come in person to receive a check from us. So he, he showed up participated with us, ate breakfast, saw the whole program, receives his check, everyone applauds, we feel good about ourselves, and then we just go about our business. It made a difference in that guy, though. And so this past Thursday, as he's online on Zoom, our president says, so why did you choose to join us? And he says, well, first of all, when I was with you guys, you guys were a lot of fun. Like, we, I just couldn't believe how much laughter there was. It just, I really enjoyed the morning. But more importantly, when I heard about all the things you guys are doing in the community, I couldn't help but want to be a part. It was our serving that made the impact on him. It wasn't just that we had given this money, that we do these fundraisers. It was that we get out into the community and do these various things. When you go out and serve, it makes an impact. It makes an impact on the people that you're serving. It makes an impact on the people that are watching. And I believe it also makes an impact on you. Because after all, Jesus said, he did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. And so when you begin to serve, when you give your life to helping others, to go and be a blessing, you're living like Jesus lived. And that is worship. That is upholding the agenda. So we need to to go and invite, but we also need to go and serve. However, some of us, I think, we like this idea that we go and we serve, and that's enough for preaching the gospel. But if you look there in the Great Commission, Jesus also said we need to teach. And I believe that implies we need to use worship words. Um, <clears throat> there's a famous saying by, uh, attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I heard this quote years and years ago, and I loved it, memorized it, and thought, yeah, that's kind of how I want to live my life. And then just a few years ago, I learned that there's two things wrong with the quote. Uh, number one, it actually wasn't said by St. Francis of Assisi. They could find no attribution uh, uh, of it to him. And then second, this whole idea of preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words, uh, that's not what Jesus said. We, we see Jesus telling us to use words. Now, we don't want to be hypocrites who use words and deny it with our actions. But he's also saying we can't just go and only serve and not back it up with our words. But when you put the two into sync, there is a synergy that comes and it makes an impact. So that's why we need to not just go and serve with our body, our actions, our energy. We need to also go and teach with words. So that, the question then is, if you're a follower of Jesus, who do you need to teach? Like, do, do you need to put yourself in a place where, like a growth group, where not only you will be taught by others, but a place where as you share your ideas, as you read things, you'll inevitably end up teaching them. Do you need to invite someone, one-on-one, just to disciple them? Because you know what it'll do for you, it'll be good for you. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe you need to figure out a way to disciple one of your children, find times to get one-on-one with them or, or do something together as a family. Who do you need to teach? Now, I realize that, that some of us, this makes us a little nervous. 
This whole idea of, of teaching, of actually using words. Like, it's one thing for us to go and serve, but another thing to, you want me to talk? I, I think that's how some of Jesus' disciples felt. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus telling his disciples he's going to send them. And, and Jesus didn't really help him out a whole lot at first because he says, oh yeah, I'm going to send you into these communities. You're going to go and preach the gospel and they're not going to like it. Like you're going to get dragged in front of courts and, and, and they're going to you know, be questioning you about this, you know, what you're preaching. But then he says this to them. This is Matthew 10 verses 19 and 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, I, I realize that none of you here are going to get dragged in front of a Jewish high court and asked about your faith in Jesus. But you might get questioned by a coworker. You might have a classmate ask you some questions. Your kids may ask you some things. It's, someone may contact you, an extended family member could contact you on social media or email and ask you some questions. And so by all means, go ahead and, and like read some books that, that will help you just grow. Right? I, two books on apologetics, which I would recommend, are uh, Tim Keller's A Reason for God and uh, this summer on my sabbatical I read Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Both very readable, but they both look at these ideas that our culture has that are a bit antagonistic towards Christianity and just helping you sort through philosophically and, and biblically how to respond and answer, how to think on these, these issues. All right, so Reason for God by Tim Keller and Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. But even better than those two, it's the Bible. I just recommend, get into the scriptures. Every day, open it up, read it, join a growth group, study it. Watch a right now media study on, on a book of the Bible. Don't just pick a topic. Like, dig in, grow through it. Listen to an audio Bible as you drive in the car because as you allow the scriptures to soak into you, then when you're squeezed by these questions, it, just, it isn't you just coming up with your best ideas. It's actually the word of God coming out. Now, by all means, when someone asks you a question and you're not exactly sure, it is totally fine to say things like, well, I'm not an expert but the way I see it, or, or, or to say, well, there's a lot of interpretations on the Bible, but the way I read it, or to even say, Man, that's a really good question. I don't know. Can I go and like research and, and learn on that and I can get back with you? Don't feel the pressure in that moment to have the perfect answer. However, when someone asks you, just pause, say a little prayer, God, you said that you would give the words in the moment. Will you give me the right words in this moment? And then just trust God. I, I've heard stories of people who, they get asked a question, they, they you know, respond, and they walk away going, oh man, that, that was embarrassing. Like that, that was the worst answer I think anyone could have ever given. And then they find out later that that was the actual conversation that God used to help someone find Jesus. So don't fret about what you're gonna say. But also, don't back, back away from using words. Yes, serve. Use your energy. Use yourself. But when God presents you the opportunity, you take it. Use words, trusting him to provide them because it's part of making disciples. Now, if you remember, there was a third clarifier in the Great Commission. We're told to go. We're told to teach. But in the middle, there was another one. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, last week I talked about how if you say you're a follower of Jesus but have not been baptized, then you're not fully following the king's agenda. Because right here in the very pinnacle, he's saying, baptize them. But if you have not done that yourself, then you're not fully following the king. I remember years ago at my church in uh, Cedar Rapids, almost every single summer we would go out to a Palo Lake and we would uh, have a big picnic and then baptism service. And it was every year it was just a highlight. But I remember one particular year, and the reason I remember this year is uh, my daughter was being baptized. And we would have a group of people come up, they'd share their stories, and then they'd go out into the lake, be baptized, and then another group of people would go up front, share their stories, and, and this is kind of the cycle for the night. And I remember one woman getting up there. She'd been a longtime member of our church. I think she was in her early 80s. And she's up in the line to get baptized. And I think a few people were like, what's going on? And then the microphone gets to her and she says, I've been following Jesus almost my entire life. And yet, I was too embarrassed to admit I'd never been baptized. And the older I got, the more embarrassed I became. She says, now I realize that I'm in my 80s any day now, I could go and meet my maker. And I realized I have not been obedient in this because I've made this about me and not about him. And so now I'm going to be baptized. At like 82 years of age. So it does not matter your age. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 40 years or 40 seconds. There's this expectation in the scriptures that if you say, I follow Jesus, then you are to be baptized. Now, I, I talked about that a little bit last week, but this week I, I want to give a little different spin. Because there will be times when you're going to go out to serve and you're going to feel like it didn't really do any good. You're going to go and invite and, and the person's going to turn you down. You're going to try to respond to someone's question. You're going to try to teach with words and you're going to feel like you just fumbled the ball. But when you are baptized, you are preaching the gospel, but not with words, you are preaching the gospel with your body. You see, when you say, I'm going to get baptized on this day in this location, you now have something to invite people to. And then when it comes time for the baptism, you're going to probably have a, a written statement. You're going to share a little bit of your story. So you're going to be teaching with words. But then you're going to get into the baptismal tank or the pool at the W or wherever it is. And then you're going to go under that water showing that you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in that moment, you put the spotlight fully on Jesus. There's no better way to proclaim the gospel than through baptism. So let's do it. I said, told you last week, Crosspoint has already offered us their portable uh, baptistry. We can bring that right in here and do this. We can rent the W. We can set something up this summer and go to the river. I mean, we are river wood after all. But let's not delay. Let's do this. Because Jesus came for you. He died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He gave it all for you. And now he asks you to give it all to him. He wants you to serve the king. And one way you can serve him is to be baptized. So let us go. Let's go and serve. Let's go and invite. Let's teach with words. But let's be baptized ourselves as we therefore go and make disciples seeking to baptize them. So what I want to do is I want to create just some space for you to pray. And we are in this 21 days of prayer. And so uh, Jake's just going to come and, and quietly play. I'm going to ask uh, Salem and Zion to lower the lights. 
and uh, we're just going to give you the next 60 to 90 seconds for you to, to talk and deal with God. Maybe it's to say, God, do I get baptized? Is, is this the next step for me? Uh, maybe it's, God, who do you want me to teach? Who, who do I need to go and, and share this gospel with? Maybe it's, who, who do I need to go and invite? Who do I invite and where do I invite them? So let's just take this time to talk to God and say, all right, God, who do I need to go to to help them become a disciple? So let's take this next 60, 90 seconds in prayer, and then I'll set us uh, up for our time of communion together.